So growing up, I'd say junior high school, maybe seventh or eighth grade, I had the awesome privilege of being able to see real fighters. And what I mean is one of my dad's best friends was a boxing promoter in Jacksonville, Florida. And I was able to go to his gym and see these fighters train, boxers, kickboxers, you name it. In fact, a lot of them that I watched training were training for fights that were going to be on ESPN. And I also met some cool boxers that were actually sparring with Mike Tyson at the time. So it was really neat to see the different fighters in training, in their conditioning. But as I did this study, I thought back to this, because one of my favorite parts to this was going to the real fights. Downtown Jacksonville in the hotels, we would go to the fights, just like you'd see on TV, and we got to see these same fighters step into the ring ready for battle. And it was really neat to see them fight. But they had to meet conditions in order to step into that ring. So the more I thought about and studied Philippians this week, I kept going back to these fighters. Because if they got injured, even in sparring or at the gym practicing, if they were injured, they could not step into the ring and fight. Mostly because it would damage their career and the longevity of the career, you know, with an injury like that. They had to protect themselves. But also there was the weight classes. You had to be a particular weight. If you were over or under, you couldn't step into the ring and fight in that class. And there's breathing, and there's all kinds of different elements to your conditioning. If none of those are met, you can't step into the ring. If one of those aren't met, you can't step into the ring. And this analogy reveals even a deeper truth about the conditions that need to be met before we can be unified before we can step into that ring of humility. And this morning, we are going to focus on the specifics as this theme of unity becomes even more heightened in today's message. So if you will, please turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. I would like to read those first 11 verses there. Philippians 2, 1 through 11. So if there is any encouragement in Christ any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The conditions of a submissive mind and a submissive heart have to be met in order to achieve unity 
which leads us to the humility that we are going to be focusing on today. That is humble service. Only when we look into the face of Jesus will we truly understand humility. So let's look at verse 1 real quick. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, first and foremost, we have to understand that these are not questionable qualities. Paul's not saying, if you have this, he's saying, so if there is, it's a certainty. He's saying it's a reality. You could actually replace if with since. So you could say, so since there is encouragement. Again, he didn't see these as questionable qualities. He saw these as certainties, and that's what he was saying to the Philippian believers. See, these are qualities that come from God. We're not creating these. These are not self-generated. So let's look at these things. Before unity can take place, four criteria, four requirements, if you will, conditions I like to call them, have to be met. So if, so since, right, encouragement in Christ. Well, we live for Christ. We live in Christ. We're united with Christ. Last week we talked about, for to me, to live is Christ. We are encouraged due to our relationship with Jesus. He becomes our encouragement. Comfort from love, another condition. We receive comfort, or we receive consolation from his love. We are comforted as we are loved. And again, this is from God. Participation in the Spirit. This also could mean fellowship in the Spirit. We share the same Spirit. The same Spirit that resides in me, resides in you. So we are joined by our faith through the Spirit of God. This does not come from us. Again, these are godly qualities bestowed upon Christians. That's why they are a certainty and a reality. Is there any affection? Is there any sympathy? Affection is tenderness, right? And sympathy can relate to our, uh, the mercy we receive, the compassion from God. So is there any affection, any sympathy? We experience God's affection, and his sympathy, qualities from God. I like to think of Paul taking the Philippian believers and placing them right in front of them and just building a case. Let's just build a case, and he questions them. I want to ask you, do you have encouragement in Christ? And they all say, yes, yes. Well, do you experience comfort from his love? Yes. He goes on to ask, well, what about participation in the Spirit. Do you guys have fellowship in the Spirit? A resounding yes. And then move on, of course, to affection, sympathy. Are you showered with these by God? Absolutely. And then Paul could take this, right? If all these answers were yes, which for a Christian would be because their qualities and conditions met because of God, he could say, well, these all should lead to a singular yes in regard to the shared mindset. And that shared mindset is all about unification. Verses 2 through 4 present the different ways the submissive mind and the submissive heart are actually expressed. See, this is about you and I becoming one. This is about oneness. In fact, if you look at verse 2, it says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. Mind is repeated there. That end of one mind is end of same purpose. 
But do you understand the beginning of verse 2 there? Paul's giving them a command. Guys, since these conditions have been met, since these are in place because we live in and for God, then we should be able to step into the oneness that we are called, the manner that we are called to, that oneness. He says, complete my joy. And what does that? The same mind, the same love, the full accord, right? The one mind and purpose. Do you see the pattern here of oneness? I want to read Ephesians 4, 1 through 6 to you. It's just, if you want to turn to it, you can, but I'm going to read it. I think Nick's putting it up on the screen. Ephesians 4, 1 through 6 says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. We've heard that before. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and there's one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. What This scripture is very supportive of our text today. It parallels what Paul's speaking of to the Philippian believers, that these conditions, these beautiful qualities that have been set bring us to a place of what we would call oneness. So the expression of the spiritual unity would make Paul's joy complete as they responded with the qualities and conditions of first one. Being like-minded, being of the same love, being one in spirit, being one in purpose, these are specific ways in in, in which spiritual unity would be realized. And this is what Paul wanted. He wanted them to see practical ways to express unity in Christ. And brothers and sisters, it all boils down to oneness, being one in mind and heart. And this is why the title of the sermon today is Submissive Mind, Submissive Heart. This is what we are striving for as these qualities are in our life and as we see how important it is to become one together, to become that oneness. So, question, can selfishness get in the way of us living this out fully? I know it's a silly question because the answer, of course, is yes. Selfishness will be a stumbling block. It will be a wall that we run into if we are trying to become one, if we try to become unified. Look at verses 3 and 4, just real quick. Let's read these together. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Here we can see the ways in which Paul is explaining to us, the ways that he is uh, proposing to us, these are exemplified in this message. These ways are what we should be looking for as we step into this oneness together. I want to go back to chapter 1 for a second. Our chapter 1 in Philippians, we were focusing on God. And we were focusing on the single-mindedness of God. You remember that. Well, that prepares and equips us, because God is always preparing and equipping us. That prepares us for chapter 2, which is now to focus on 
others with a submissive mind. So here we are focused on God and single-mindedness in line with His purpose and will. It prepares us to focus on others with the submissive mind. But we've got to be careful. There's two sides to this coin. We've got to be careful. One who possesses the submissive mind and heart is not to be at the beck and call of everybody else. And they are definitely not to give in to the whims and wishes of all those around them. 2 Corinthians says this, 2 Corinthians 4, 5. 2 Corinthians 4, 5 says, for what we proclaim is not ourselves. We're not preaching ourselves. We are not promoting ourselves, right? We're not proclaiming ourselves. Who are we proclaiming? It says right here, but Jesus Christ as Lord. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. So the two sides of the coin are this. You can easily fall into that trap of being a self-promoter and being that yes man or that yes woman, right? At the same time, because you're saying yes with a submissive heart and mind, you can also be abused by others that aren't in full accord. We have to be careful on both sides of that. That's why it is so important to remember this is all for Jesus' sake Jesus Christ is Lord. It's not about us. So whether you're being abused by another person because of your willingness to serve, or you find yourself being a self-promoter because of your willingness to serve, you have to take you out of this equation and focus on Jesus. Jesus is Lord for Jesus' sake. I love that verse. And I refer you back. Everybody look back to Philippians 1.27. I refer you back to what Paul wanted. He says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. This uh, picture I just painted for you, right, with both sides of that coin in service, is not standing firm fighting for the gospel. That's not standing firm in one spirit or in one purpose. There's no unification there. That's why we have got to go back to Jesus Christ is Lord. Paul calls for humility to be lived out in the Christian life. But how does one become humble? I found the most wonderful illustration. This man took the words right out of my mouth and I could have never said it better. It was a man, it was a minister by the name of Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was asked this very question by one of his members, and this was his answer. A friend of mine was asking me the other day, how can I be humble? He felt there was pride in him, and he wanted to know how to get rid of it. He seemed to think that I had some patent remedy and could tell him, do this, that, right? And the other. And you will be humble. I said, I have no method or technique. I can't tell you to get down on your knees and believe in prayer um, because I know you will soon be proud of that. There's only one way to be humble, and that is to look into the face of Jesus Christ. You cannot be anything else when you see him. That is the only way Humility is not something you can create within yourself. Rather, you look at him 
and you realize who he is and what he has done, and you are humbled. humbled excuse me. That was Martin Lloyd-Jones re- responding to one of his members, asking, how do I become humble? Well, you don't generate it yourself. You're not creating humbleness. In fact, we've got to talk now about the humility of Jesus, because I said in the beginning, for us to only understand it, we have to look into the face of Jesus to truly embrace what humility is. So Paul commands the Philippian believers to have the mind of Christ. We've read that. That is Christ's attitude, right? His mindset. So our mindset, our attitude should be in line with Jesus's. That's what we're called to. So if we are to understand the mind of Christ, then shouldn't we need to know the mind of Christ? But that's where I kind of pull back on the reins. I have to say, whoa, hold on. God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Who can understand, truly understand the mind of Christ? But that's where Scripture, we are so blessed to have the written Word at our disposal. This is where the Holy Spirit illuminates the Scripture for us so that we can begin to understand even more and more the depths of Christ and His love. So we're going to look at the next three verses together because they begin to reveal the inner workings of Christ's mind. We get to see it. So let's look at verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. All right, so we get to see the inner workings of Christ's mind here. Follow me. We are traveling from the highest point in the Scripture, heaven, where he reigns. From the highest point. And we're traveling from that to the lowest point. That is death on a cross. So in Jesus' obedience to the Father, all right, due to his submissive mind and heart, in this willingness of Jesus, he accepted the lowest possible position in humbleness, and that's the cross. He did not even regard himself above death. This was the measure of Christ's humility, the measure of the cross. Folks, the cross was cruel. Uh, The cross was painful. And yes, it was designed to kill, but the cross was also designed to shame. Many people were crucified by the Romans. That's a fact. But Jesus' crucifixion is different because we have to understand what's actually happening up on that cross. Yes, the cruelty the pain, his death, but shame. And I'm going to say this. Again, why others had died this way. Jesus bore the curse of sin and was suffering the wrath by being our atoning sacrifice, by being our atoning substitute. He died. He had shame. He had cruelty. He experienced pain. All these things in place of you and I experiencing them. Galatians 3.13 says this. Christ redeemed us 
from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Jesus took our place, bore our sins, and he experienced the cruelty from the Romans, the mockery. He experienced all the pain from the beatings and all the, that torment he went through on the cross. He experienced death and that shame that he had to bear for us. That is that lowest position in humility. That's a far way to travel, isn't it? That's a long, long way to travel. So Jesus' lowest point in humility displays the great heights of his love. He had to come to the lowest place in order to rescue us. I mean, think about this for a second. If you were to fall into a deep hole and you couldn't climb your way out, first off, you're probably laying on your back injured. You're probably hurt from falling into this hole. But let's just say you're hurt, you can't climb out, it's too deep, there's nothing you can do, you need to be rescued. Okay, you've got your picture. The rescuer comes. Maybe he climbs halfway down, maybe he rails, but he meets halfway there at the point he goes, hey, come on, climb up. You're like, what? Well, I'm rescuing you, but this is as far as I'm going to go. I need you to meet me halfway. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd be a little confused now and a little hurt. But wait a minute, I thought you were coming to rescue me. You're only meeting me halfway. i got to meet you halfway? How can that be? See, this is the beauty of Jesus Christ. Jesus, right, he descended to the lowest point to rescue us. He came to where we are. He comes to us today, who we are, where we are. He meets us right here. That's the beauty of our rescuer. He didn't meet us halfway. He came all the way down. Praise God. Everybody look at Philippians 2.6 here in our text. This is important, this line here. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. In eternity past, we see that Jesus Christ is God. We find that throughout Scripture. We see that Jesus, eternal, second person of the Trinity, always existed. We see him as God. He was equal to God. He needed nothing. He needed nothing. He reigned with the Father. He reigned with the Spirit over the whole of the universe. He had the praise, all the praise and glory of heaven. But we see here in this verse that he did not count equality. He did not, see, here's the thing. He did not count equality. He did not selfishly hold on to his equality. He sets aside these privileges for others. He is concerned about humanity. His concern is you and I. So he sets these things to the side. See, Christ's deity is displayed in this very same verse. Let's talk about the word form. These are not godlike qualities. These are not like special little features. Form means the very nature, the very essence of God. He was God. He wasn't like God in this way and this way. Oh, he has this quality or he has this feature. No, he was in the very form. He was God. So equality with God was always his. It was always Jesus's. 
But that is why Paul never mentions a starting point, a point excuse me, for Jesus' divine status. He never gives you a timeline with divine status of Jesus because he is what? He is eternal. And this is the point. Please hear this. This is the point. Paul was not just reminding the Philippian believers of what Jesus did. He was reminding them of who he is. This is how we come face to face with Jesus. As we read these verses, we see who he is that's humbling himself. And humbling himself in such a way. It's not just the actions resulting from this humbleness. This was God. Jesus laid aside everything in order to do what was necessary to rescue us. No price was too high. In this wonderful and awesome work of humility, we have to see the face of Jesus. This is what that other minister was trying to say. We don't create it, we don't generate. If a believer truly understands who Jesus is, there we find humility. Look at this verse. All spheres, all realms, all realms. And it says in verse 9, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. All realms, all spheres. This is, this, this is fascinating to me. In heaven, heavenly beings and angels, they will bow and confess Jesus is Lord. On earth, believers and non-believers, those who reject Christ, will bow and confess Jesus is Lord. Under the earth, the unsaved, those who rejected Christ and have passed, demons, Satan, will fall to his knees, bow, and confess Jesus is Lord. I can't tell you the timeline. I don't understand the timeline of when these different things will happen, but the Bible tells us that all will fall and confess Jesus is Lord. See, he's the only way, right? He is the only way. We have two beautiful natures here. Scripture presents our God, fully God, descending and taking the form of a human. Again, these, when I talk about form, even as a human, we're not talking about the likeness and features, right? We're talking about the form, the essence and nature. Jesus was fully God. Jesus was fully human. And this is what it took to rescue us. He was born under the law, right? So that he could die. A man broke the law and brought sin into the world. So blood had to be shed by another man to reconcile us. But this man had to be perfect in every way. So God was born under the law to redeem us, yet he was God himself perfect. There was no other man to do this. God had to step down from the majesty of heaven, come to this earth to become a form of a servant. We just celebrated Christmas, that wonderful incarnation. And he had to take on humanity in order to be a sacrifice, an atoning sacrifice for us. God is a just God. He demands justice. Even with his son, you see here, his son is the one that had to die to appease God. That sacrifice was so that justice would be served in God's eyes. And it took a perfect 
It took perfection and humanity. We have two natures coming together, fully together, not a blend, not a percentage, fully human, fully God as our sacrifice. He is the only way to truly understand humility. And He is the only way for our salvation. Only Jesus could do this. It's amazing. In fact, Paul identifies Jesus in these verses as Lord. Everybody, well, you don't have to turn to it. Nick, I think he's going to put it up there. Isaiah 45, 23. Isaiah 45, 23. The reason the name is so important, right? The reason the name is so important is because both purposes that we've talked about, bowing, right, on your knees and confessing Jesus as Lord, both purposes are drawn from Isaiah 45, 23. It says, but <clears throat> by myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear allegiance. Paul is referring to a verse in Isaiah, right, from the Old Testament that speaks of Yahweh, that speaks of the Lord. And what is he doing? He applies it to Jesus. Jesus is Lord. That's remarkable. You and I joyously bow and confess. As Christian believers, we can fall to our knees and joyously confess Jesus is Lord. For others, they're going to confess the same thing, but they're going to do it in fear and trembling. Why We joyously do it. We desire to do it. They'll do it in fear and trembling. You know what Paul's primary goal is here for the Philippian believers? He wants them to see Jesus' Jesus' example. That's a hard word to say. Jesus' example of humility, of servanthood, and sacrifice. He wants them to see that. But not just looking to the cross as an example, but who it is on the cross. Who is on that cross in our place? Who is on that cross on our behalf? That's what he wants them to see. He's promoting and preaching and proclaiming Jesus is Lord. So this is what it looks like. This is what it is to look in the face of Jesus and see the mind of Christ. This text right here is what it is to look in the face of Jesus and see the mind of Christ. We are to have this mindset. This is what brings us to understand Humility, what it really is. As the conditions are met for me and you, those beautiful qualities that God bestows upon us, as those conditions are met, you and I need to pursue oneness with a submissive mind and submissive heart. Why? We look to who Jesus is. He's our encouragement. He's our comfort and love. He brings us fellowship in the Spirit. He showers us with affection and sympathy. Those beautiful qualities in verse 1. This is who Jesus is. And in doing so, guess what happens? You and I become one. This is the church unity that Paul desires for Philippi. And this is the unity that you and I should all be striving for here at Grace Fellowship. Because now, brothers and sisters, now we can step into the ring of humble servitude to the glory of God.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask you now, Lord, I ask you to be with this church. Lord, I ask you to hold this church in your hands. Watch over us, Father, as we become what you're called us to. You have called us to a manner worthy of the gospel. You've called us to become one in mind, in heart, in purpose. You want us to fight side by side. You want us to strive together for the face of the gospel. Father, in order to do that, we have to take these beautiful qualities you've given us and become one. Only then, with a submissive mind and a submissive heart, can we serve each other in humility, godly humility. Lord, I pray right now that we look to your word, that we look to find the face of Jesus so we can look into your face and truly understand this humility. Let us continually come back to this passage, Father, so we can understand what humility truly is. Father, I pray for this church right now that as we grow in you, that we also grow in relation to one another so that oneness, Lord, is evident in Grace Fellowship. It's evident in the community here in Reedsville. We pray for that, Father. We ask you, Father, please guide our hearts. Let your Holy Spirit lead us to becoming one. Lead us to serve others with a submissive mind and a submissive heart, Father. Let us step into that ring, Lord, of humility that, and embrace it, Father. Because how can we not see humility when we look at you? And now we know it stems from you. It can only come from you. We don't generate it. We don't create it. We don't wake up Sunday morning and go, I'm going to be humble for an hour and a half. Lord, give us this. We, this is what we're praying for in this church right now. For the growth of this church, Father, in our hearts. Quant, you know, just the, the quality of our hearts, Father. And then the quantity, Father. Then the quantity as we grow this church. This is what we're praying for. We just ask you, Lord, right now to watch over us. Protect us, Father, during, in this time of uh, the weather, Lord, the bad weather. Protect us. I just pray for everyone to come back safely next week, Lord. And I pray as we come back together, we're stronger because we realize that we are called in this manner to serve one another in this oneness, in this humility. So Lord, when we come back, let us look at each other with love. Let us look at each other with encouragement, affection, knowing full well that the spirits in that it's in another is the same spirit that's in me. Let us realize the oneness that we all share. And let us exercise that in practical ways in this church. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.